0: Latino Stories, Historias Latinas es un podcast que nace del proyecto de narrativas orales de Latinos en Ohio, Oral Narratives of Latinos in Ohio, con entrevistas en español, inglés and Spanish. Welcome to Latina Latino Stories, I'm Elena Fowes. Today, I have a group of students with me who are part of a field school class on border issues and activism. Can you please introduce yourselves?
1: Hi, I'm Emily Boyer. I'm studying anthropology and romance languages. Um, I found out about this field school on a poster outside of the Spanish and Portuguese office. Mm-hmm. I was really interested last semester. I took um, an anthropology course on Latin American peoples and cultures, and we read a book by Jason De Leon called uh, "The Land of Open Graves," mm-hmm. where we studied—well, um, where he studied people's experience crossing the Sonoran Desert okay. uh, to reach the United States. And so, that
2: book was a great precursor to this field school. Great. Okay. Um, Hi, my name is Liv Jambarian, and I am a third-year student. I study history and romance studies, and I found about this class uh, through an email by, I think, the Spanish and Portuguese department, Mm -hmm. and it just really interested me because, one, you know, I think it's easy to say that you're very pro-immigrant or you're pro-undocumented rights, but I feel like it's really important to be able to understand the processes that they go through and be able to justify why and explain why you think they're being treated unjustly and... Yeah. So I just wanted to develop a deeper understanding of it. And yeah, so that's basically it. Great.
3: Okay. Um, I'm Alana Strickland. Um, I am a second year. My major is international studies with a specialization in development. I have a couple minors, but we're not going to get into <laughs> <laughs> Um, And I learned about this from Gino, actually, who was in the previous podcast. He's my friend. I'm from uh, Canton, Ohio. Okay. Uh, and uh, he just is really into like learning about like the Latin community, Hispanic community and stuff. And like I was very interested in it because like he just seemed very passionate. So I was like, this must be something I might like. And I really enjoyed <laughs> it. So
0: well great, great. Um this semester, like you mentioned, you participated in a field Ohio Field School course on border issues and activists uh, activism. In which you were introduced to sites of immigration enforcement and immigrant Uh, right activism to understand how the border is present, not only in the southwestern United States, but also here in Ohio. Uh, Through these visits and reflections about um, these learning sites that you visited, you engaged in discussions with community partners working in um, immigrant uh, communities for their support and defense, Uh, Coupled with presentations about Ohio's history of solidarity and sanctuary activism um, in relation specifically to Central American um, immigration crisis over the last um, half century. Uh, On our previous episode, we talked to some of your peers. So let's uh, continue this conversation. So before we move on, and we sort of mentioned this in the uh previous episode about the different uh you know uh ways that people come into the US. Uh so can you tell me briefly um what types of immigration statuses uh that people that you engage with um had? Uh why is it important for us to understand these differences? Um
3: so There is, like, I think we've touched on every one of them on our trip. Um, so there, there was asylees, um, refugees, undocumented immigrants, and then documented immigrants. Um, some of them had, uh, visas and some of them, like, didn't. Some of of them had green cards and some of them were applying for green cards. Asylees are people who are seeking admission to a country, uh, at a port of entry or are directed, directly present in the country and are escaping persecution or, or disaster. They're similar to refugees, but the only difference is, Asylees have to um, be in the, be in the country before they like can um, get it. And the refugees, they have to apply to get into the country or like mm-hmm. to go there. Um, and then undocumented immigrants are basically just uh, immigrants who don't have the documentation documentation to stay in the country, like visas or green cards or mm-hmm. citizenship. And then documented immigrants are legally admitted uh, people with status and permanent residents of a nation. Um, and I believe, for me personally, it's important. Um, to know the differences between these because there are certain freedoms that each of these have and that right. some don't. So, like documented immigrants, um, I think they they're able to like get like a license or ID. While um, undocumented, like they can't do that, so they have to work like like under the ca- under the table, and so like they don't have the same freedoms as that. And then, um, like visas are also different from document documentation because even though you are legally allowed in the country. Um, at any point, like you, like you can just
0: be kicked out. So yeah, and there's some restrictions associated mm-hmm. with that, right? So if you have, then you might have a permit to work, right, um, or a permit to be a student. So therefore, you can't work or go to the university, right? Right. Um, and then um, with the um, asylum, right, that's very important. I think for us to understand that people actually have to step into, in the case of the United States, right, to step into. Um, the United States to seek that, um, uh, which is, um, you know, this can be controversial when you have people from Central America coming here to ask for asylum, and then um, maybe us closing those borders, right? Because the only way for them to seek asylum is to actually enter the country, right? Um, Versus refugees that remain either in their country um, of our origin, or at Camps, refugee camps, and and that process has to go on before they actually are allowed in a country. Mm -hmm. Did you have? uh Yeah. And then
2: uh, something we learned about asylum seekers is that a lot of time people are arrested before they can even declare asylum. And Mm -hmm. so that is a huge problem and then under the trump administration they took away a couple of things that you could apply for asylum for and one of the biggest ones is domestic violence and that has affected so many um specifically guatemalan or central american women who are fleeing domestic violence mm-hmm. uh, so yeah i just thought that was an important caveat to mention when we're talking about asylum seekers
1: right yeah uh- and in the meantime um people who are applying for refugee status that's at minimum two years and so you're being persecuted for at least two years while you wait. And who knows if you'll be accepted and granted that status and Mm -hmm. every piece of your life we learned was combed over, you know, your social media, I mean, anything you've ever interacted with.
0: Right, right. So even declaring or seeking um, this, um, you know, uh, statuses um, could put you at risk, right, Mm -hmm. Um, because they might look through all of your life or you might be at a place you might have to stay in the same country, which, you know, could automatically uh, label you as a traitor, right, because you're seeking to flee that country that's persecuting you. Um, and then um, in the asylum cases, you know, those, um, like you mentioned, the violence, right, escaping violence, domestic violence, um, uh, ser- serious threats are now um, regulated or strict um, um, rules regarding that. Um So talk to us about the role of the organizations that you visited. Um, Many of them are faith-based, but also are pushing for justice. How are they in any way providing a space where immigrants feel valued, cared for, and listened? And I know not all of them were faith-based. So tell me about this sort of different organizations. Um,
2: I do not remember the exact name of the church. So I would love if someone would correct me. Uh, but one of the churches we visited in Cincinnati. Uh, so they were a safe haven for people to declare their status and so to take refuge there. And um, but basically, we met a family from uh, the Democratic Republic of Congo, who had basically been asylum seekers, but they had to flee so quickly. That they didn't have their paperwork intact because mm-hmm. their lives were being threatened for obvious reasons. Right. Um, but the the church allowed them to actually live and to exist. But the only problem is is by, by declaring it, since they could not be harboring uh, the, refu- the sorry, the immigrants, they had to declare their status. So that puts them at a simultaneous more threat to ICE because they are declaring that their existence, but then they also have safe haven within the church. And so the church allowed them to have a community with people they could interact with. It gave them the stability of a home or be able to cook. And, you know, eventually the people were able to get their green cards and start working. But during that time, it was really important to be able to have a sense of stability in your lives and some sort of sense of protection. But it also, I feel like a lot of times was a cage. Mm -hmm. People couldn't leave. And You know, there's a sense of loss of identity and power in that. And I think that's really important to understand that while these organizations are able to help people, it's also like a very limiting experience for them as well.
0: Was this a case of sanctuary? Yes, sanctuary. I completely forgot the word. (laughs) Yeah, I think it was the United Methodist Church. Yeah, I believe so. (laughs) Okay. And yeah, the sanctuary movement or places that sort of declare themselves or offer themselves as as sanctuary um, spaces. uh, Yeah, there is a, um, so there's safety, but then the people that are inside the churches or, you know, places um, can't leave, right? Because if they do they can be arrested or um, uh, detained and possibly deported. Exactly. So, yeah, so there is this sense of, like, safety, but also imprisonment, right? Yeah, exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. Mm-hmm.
2: And There was another uh, church in Cleveland, and, again, I would love to be corrected, <laughs> um, but there's another church in Cleveland where there was a woman who had to stay there for an extended period of time, and while she was there, they put an ankle monitor on her so that she couldn't really leave, and so she always felt under threat and persecuted, and mm-hmm. so... It's just it's very sad that even when you are in your uh, sanctuary, you're never really completely safe.
0: Right. And I have to mention this, this is this is the rules are ICE rules, mm-hmm. right? Not the not the church or the place or no, the no, no, sanctuary. Of course not. Right. It's the is the threat comes from the outside, yes. right? And they um enforce sort of some mm-hmm. of those um rules and, and regulations like the the ankle monitor, which I in my opinion is very dehumanizing of course you have to wear that Um, uh, mm
3: um i think like broadly mostly um i think a lot of like these organizations are like working to advocate um on the behalf of like the immigrants who can't like go out without protection um and like financially like help them like like you were saying with the church and stuff like being able to give them a home um so yeah i agree with you 100%. hundred percent. I just wanna like give it like a broad like I feel like all of the organizations have really been pushers for like trying to get them legal status and like trying to advocate for them on their behalf that they were helping them, um, without them putting them like at risk for a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, right. Um,
1: and I would like to correct actually with the United Methodist Church, mm-hmm. they were offering sanctuary, but because of the requirement that families step forward and gain media attention, mm-hmm. no one felt comfortable doing that. And they it became that they were providing shelter for people who were granted asylum status the united methodist church in cincinnati was working with mosques and synagogues to they all worked together to create the shelter mm-hmm. and fundraise and it was like um a really unique, I guess, experience of faith-based communities coming mm-hmm. together to mm-hmm. do this. Mm-hmm.
0: That's great, right? It's an interfaith um, sort of sanctuary space, right, that the, the, um, they come together to help sort of people in the community. Um, did you feel like these uh, organizations um, were also guided by sort of the needs of the community? Were they... Um, um, You know, not taking over and thinking that they knew what the community had, but actually um, allowed some of the immigrants, undocumented or not, and sort of lead some of those efforts.
3: I don't remember the one it was called, but the one in Cincinnati, um, the person we went to, um, I feel like they had a, um, like, they had a lot of people um, who were immigrants or, like, who were, like, seeking, like, immigrant like, just seeking um citizenship like were like very involved uh-huh. um in forming the organization but like so i'm saying like they were helping um but like they weren't taking over especially in the cincinnati, that one cincinnati i forget it was like justice something i
1: believe interfaith justice community
3: i think so yeah, yeah. um and then i the one we went to in cleveland um he, it wasn't faith-based uh he basically the guy that led it he um he just brought like a lot of people who he worked with that were immigrants um, to, to speak to us because like, he wasn't trying to take over. So I feel mm-hmm. like a lot of these organizations have like have this equal ground and like they want to help and they aren't trying to like lead a movement um, mm-hmm. that they shouldn't be leading. So right.
2: mm-hmm. Also, slight correction, I found the name it's okay. Intercommunity Justice and Peace Center.
0: So tell me a little bit more about your experiences with um, sort of the different sites. Did you see a significant difference between the work that's happening in Cincinnati and in Cleveland? Okay, I will probably
2: need to go back to look at the exact name. But what I found really interesting in uh, Cleveland is that there was a focus on workers' rights combined with immigrant rights. And we talked specifically about a factory in, I think, Canton area. I touched the mic, um, in Canton area where they had, and this is a common practice. A lot of times for exploitative factories is that they will hire undocumented workers. And then when payday comes or someone complains, they call ice. And so that had been the site of the biggest ice raid in all of Ohio's history. So what I really appreciate about Cleveland is that they kind of did a combined approach of talking about, uh, exploited labor of immigrants as well as, uh, protections and community centers. So that was, I would feel like the main difference when I was, uh, at the two places, because I don't remember such a focus on workers' rights during our trip to Cincinnati.
1: Yeah, our first, the first, well, the second person I suppose we met yeah. was Deb Klein. She works a lot with um, workers' rights uh, and she works for or helps with Cleveland Jobs for Justice. Mm-hmm. And um, they're really interesting because they also, they're focused on workers' rights, but they also do like um, a lot of advocacy and they do courtroom monitoring. Mm. Um, And this was like a big takeaway of mine in Cleveland. Um, She told us all about how immigration courts are actually part of the U.S. Department of Justice Mm -hmm. and the executive branch. And so people who are detained by ICE don't have the same rights as people who are detained by other cops. And Mm -hmm. um, so if you can't afford an attorney, you don't have a right to one. And uh, normally in court, whatever your bond is set to, you pay 10% of it. But here you have to pay 100% of your bond. Mm-hmm. And there's no limitation to what bond will be set to. It's up to the judge solely. Mm-hmm. And so if they want it to be $50,000, then it's $50,000 and you owe all of that. It was typically set between, I believe, 15000 yeah, $15, and $20,000. Which nobody, I mean, I can't afford. <laughs> no,
0: Nobody can Me afford. Either. Yeah, right. Um, I think that, that's an important point to make, right, that um, I'm glad that you got to see how an organization thinks about workers' rights as immigrants' rights, too. Because when you're thinking about uh, some of these uh, factories, right, that employ undocumented immigrants, um Who who is there to protect their rights, right? Who is there to make sure that that's a safe environment, that's just, that they're getting paid uh, justly, right? Um, Or given the protections that they need uh, in terms of equipment or, you know, safety, things like that. I know that there was... that was a big concern at the start of the pandemic, right, because a lot of these workers that worked in this type of industries industries, were considered um, essential workers, right? And so, you know, people that work at meat plants or dairy farms, things like that, or agriculture workers um, were not really given the proper uh PPE, right, uh, personal protective equipment, yet they continue to work and, you know, they had to, they had to go, they couldn't work from home, right? Um, And so how, um, whether they are documented immigrants or not, uh, we still have rights, right? Because you're working, um, yet the system is um, not acknowledging that, right, or not granting sort of those same rights um, because they're not documented, right? Yeah. Um, what else did you, what, 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 um, what were some of the takeaways from these two sites, uh, like between Cleveland and Cincinnati, or within Cleveland? <laughs> um, either way. Mm-hmm.
2: Oh gosh. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
3: Um, I think for me, um, I think in Cleveland, so I wasn't there very long because I had somewhere to be. (laughs) Um, So I was like there for like a day and a half. So I try to get the gist of everything. Um, It really like stuck out to me of like how much immigration, like immigrating to a different country has on your mental health. Mm -hmm. Um, We learned about the three men from Burkina Faso and like, I don't know, it like really touched me like how they can like go through all this stuff and still be able to like live and like be a lot like I like I I mean I have like you know everybody has problems but like imagine doing that on your own and like going through all that stuff I know um it like takes an effect on your mental health and like not even being being able to like get the help because for one like you're not documented and for two like you have other stuff on your plate to worry about um Mm -hmm. so I think for me from the Cleveland trip um that really stuck out to me just it was a big impact
1: yeah, and um, Fatima from Honduras definitely touched on that as well with um, her men- her personal mental health and um, her survivor's guilt, I think mm-hmm. she talked about, uh, just because her mom uh, emigrated them when she was a baby and, you know, what she faced with gangs, both protecting her and hurting her, mm-hmm. and now the pressure to be a great student and make her family proud and also the pressure and expectation that, she'll be an activist when Mm -hmm.
3: that's really like an unfair expectation to have on people who are immigrants right right and even then like she was she was going through all this stuff and like still being a doctor recipient so she doesn't know if she's even going to be allowed to stay in the country like it just adds on to a whole bunch of stuff and it's just very disheartening but like it's disheartening to hear that they like a lot of people can't get help um Mm -hmm. so um,
2: I guess like, if I was thinking about them, something that really stuck out to me during the Cleveland trip was actually a story about uh, some people from Mauritania, not some people, uh, about Mauritania from this woman named Miriam Scythe. I mm-hmm. believe her name is. Uh, she was talking about how there was an ethnic cleansing or really mm-hmm. genocide in the country that led most of the black residents to no longer have any of their documentation or any form of citizenship. And so when they fled the country and then were deported, when they were sent back, they had no citizenship, mm-hmm. so they were put directly in jail. And I just, that just blew my mind. Um, right. Just hearing some, a story like that. Um, and then when we talk for deportation, I feel like it obviously has a negative connotation, but I don't think we understand the gravity of it or the brutality of how people are deported. And when we learned about the journey that people have to take, you know, being shackled down basically and not knowing where they are, mm-hmm. I, I mean, that is truly uh discerning and i feel like most of us don't really think about it in those ways it's just it's not a neutral term but to understand the the gravity of it i had never really understood how brutal it was and so that that really stuck out to me on a a different level when i was there and that's why i wrote a lot of
0: notes on it (laughs) right and not even like um, the person that's being deported doesn't really have a lot of information They, their families don't have any information. Nope. Right. Um, I um, a, a year ago, we were trying to help somebody that was being deported. And we were trying to provide information to the family to see when he was going to be deported, where he was going to be deported. Um, and we for like a day, we had no clue where this person was like nobody like we called the different offices to try to find out information and they're like, Oh no, he's either going to be deported at this um, border play, you know, a site or this other one. Uh, We don't know when. So in that process, then we get a phone call that he was already in Mexico. So, you know, it's um, you know, that's, that's very um, uh, traumatizing for the person that's, that's, you know, being deported, but also for their family, like how, worried about like the the people usually don't have any money they don't have a cell phone they don't have anything right and so how do you communicate with um your fam- family to let them know where you are uh so the whole process yeah it's very uh, people don't understand it's not just like you know easy like oh we'll put you you know yeah, exactly. on a plane and go no it's 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 very diff- more complex than that mm-hmm.
3: another thing that we learned on the like the topic of deportation was like a lot of people are, like, deported to countries that they aren't even from, yeah. which is, like, so wild to me. Like, how hard is it to just ask them where they're from? Like, oh, they got to be from somewhere over there, so they just send them over. And then, like, they're just in a foreign place again mm-hmm. and don't know how to get home. So. Right.
0: And what if they don't even speak the same exactly. language of that country, right? Exactly. <laughs> right. Um, so um, I have a couple questions uh, for you. But before I wanted to ask you, how were you... Um, how did you see yourself in engaging with people that were different than you that spoke, some of them probably spoke a different language than you? Um, how did you see yourself sort of being in the space of, um, you know, people that were either caring for immigrants or were immigrants themselves and like listening to the story? What, what impact did that have on you? I'll go. (laughs) I think um, for me,
3: like, it depends on, like, where we're at. Like, I think we went to, like, a church, which was, like, I don't even even remember. But they they spoke a different language than me. Um, And, like, so I don't speak Spanish at all. Like, hola. That's all I have. (laughs) But so, like, I feel like it was very hard to adjust to a different language. But also to, like, I feel like I was invading their space to a point um, because, like, like, especially like a sense of community. Like if somebody invades my sense of community, sometimes I feel like a little off-putting. Um, so like, I do not want to make them uncomfortable. So that, um, that was one like reaction I had um, with like the organizations. Um, I felt, I would say kind of empowered, but like, like I would love to help like any way I can. And it made me like realize how much I would love to work with like nonprofits um, and helping others in my community um, Cause I, for my major is international studies. So I want to go like abroad to like help, but like I need to also realize like the problems that are present in like the country that I'm in. Mm-hmm. Um, So that made me like reflect on that and just hearing other people's stories of like immigration and like their lives. Um, Like I basically, I didn't want to say compared it to my life, but like I've had hard stuff going on in my life, but like realizing how much they've been through, like, mm-hmm. I don't want to downplay my, my experiences, right. but like, I realized like, there's stuff that I would never experience. And I'm, I'm happy for that, but I'm also sad that they had to experience that. So, yeah.
2: mm-hmm. um, I guess for me, kind of similar to what Alana said, especially entering us uh, communities and spaces. So when we went to the church in Cincinnati, that was mostly uh, Guatemalan people. And many of them spoke Spanish, but many of them didn't even speak Spanish. They mm-hmm. spoke an indigenous language. Um, I definitely feel like a part of me was invading their sanctuary or invading their community. but And then also there was a sense of voyeurism or um, mm-hmm. you know ex- a sensationalization, and I you know you need to hear people's stories sometimes to understand empathetically what people have been through. But at a certain point, it feels a little exploitative because it's almost using their trauma for your own personal growth. You know, you hear the story of what someone went through to inform your opinion, and you know, at the end, it's not just an opinion or it's just not a story; it's their life. Mm-hmm. So I definitely felt a sense of that, but I it's very conflicting because I'm glad I did that and I'm glad I heard those things. But, you know, as there will always be a sense of guilt (laughs) in a way. Mm -hmm. And then also knowing that many of the people who have those stories, you know, they're, it's direct, uh, uh, you know, impact of American imperialism, the reason why they're coming, Mm -hmm. American globalization, why they're, uh, you know, globalization, why they're coming to this country. And I benefit, you know, I think we all as citizens benefit from exploitation abroad. And so It's definitely a real and powerful feeling to see that. Um, And then also within the uh, nonprofits outside the communities, uh, I thought it was really empowering and really exciting to see the passion of everyday people, people who have no connections and just people who care. I I really thought that was inspiring. And then also the interfaith collaboration was Mm -hmm. really great to see because I feel like there's a lot of Uh, intensity, I guess, in the media between faves, which I feel like is not really practical in real life uh, of how actual people interact. So I really enjoyed seeing that and it made me excited. It made me want to volunteer. And I think that's like something that's really important is just engaging people and getting them excited to help. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, I think that just meeting so many people who had originally, like so many activists who had Mm -hmm. originally nothing to do or no work with immigration, were able to find a space to help people Mm -hmm. and then create those safe spaces we were talking about earlier to Mm -hmm. help immigrants. Um, That was definitely extremely impactful and moving. And when we were at the church speaking to people who like, they didn't know us at all. Like there was such a sense of trust because Mm -hmm. they had no idea of course, we came on the idea that we have good intentions, but right. they don't know us. And mm-hmm. as far as I was aware, they didn't even realize we were coming to hear their stories that night until mm. um, one of the women who runs the church said so. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and yet they all were interested. Well, most people seem to be interested in sharing that and being heard, mm. um, which and someone in my group, I believe, said that part of the reason he wanted to talk to us was because people who are citizens have the power to vote and make more of a difference or be more loud about this Mm -hmm, issue.
0: mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah. Yeah, I think it's an important point of reflection, right? Like, um, we're not necessarily, as citizens, we we don't speak for them, but we can use our platform to amplify their voices and their struggles. So definitely a point to reflect on, right? Um, So I assume, like you just mentioned, right, that you interacted with different um, kinds of people um, with distinct and unique stories. Uh, Some of them, because uh, of their immigration status, make them vulnerable. So maybe undocumented populations. Uh, Why do some immigrants who are undocumented decide to go public with their story? What's the value of it?
3: i can answer <laughs> <Thank>
0: um <you>. <laughs> <laughs> i think
3: a big reason why people go public with their stories is for awareness um and trying to like have people understand like how like how bad the immigration like like system is here and like how people are affected um because like of course a lot of people around the world are, are, are like in the united states are like we don't need immigrants like you know build the wall whatever you know Mm -hmm. and like they don't realize like how like traumatizing like it is to travel from your home country to leave your family behind they don't Mm -hmm. realize how hard the journey is or how how like difficult it is to stay in a country that might kill you Mm -hmm. um so just spreading awareness and like i think compassion or like learning about people's experiences will give you more compassion to understand like why and like push people to want to vote to to change the laws and policies Mm -hmm. that are in the country um and then i think i kind of stated it already but like just just one on like if you're facing somebody and they're like sitting here telling you their personal story like you will feel some type of reaction and some type of emotional connection to that um and if you're compassionate i know some people are a little you know (laughs) so i feel like just being able to share is like such a big thing um even when it like gives them puts them at such a risk, it will if like I'll, I know like a lot of them. I won't speak for them, but I I, I feel like a lot of them express like my story will help others um, mm-hmm. and will help the community in general to improve the country. So right,
2: right. Yeah, I also think that there's like um, a goal of destigmatizing destigmatization excuse Mm -hmm. me um because you know the idea of being undocumented comes with a lot of stigma and so i think when you can come out with your story and show i'm an undocumented person this is me i'm you know there's a lot of horrible rhetoric you know alien criminal Mm -hmm. and and when you see them as just a person working for their families trying to get by who unfortunately they couldn't get their paperwork on time or something went wrong and it's really out of their control you can kind of understand and see people as people and not as or oh, excuse me, not statistics. Mm-hmm. And I feel like a lot of times um, undocumented workers are set up to be antagonists to the everyday American when really they're just struggling in very similar, not in the exact same ways, but very similar ways just to feed mm-hmm. their families and to get by and find mm-hmm. good employment. So I feel like when people come out, they're doing a really good job of stigmatizing for other people. And it's a really unselfish act when you think about it. Right.
1: Yeah, I think it's really important that people who feel comfortable come forward but it's too bad that like empathy comes at the price of people's right. safety mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that um, that like in being an activist or sharing your story um, even people who then are able to humanize you who I guess weren't before for whatever yeah. reason <laughs> yeah. like mm-hmm. you're still um, restrained to this you're an immigrant mm-hmm. are you a good immigrant or a bad immigrant are you mm-hmm. a loud one or a quiet one right. and um I don't know I just wish we could get to a point where people are just people <laughs> no right. matter their documentation
0: status. Right. Yeah, and I and I really like what you said about um you know finding that common ground, right? Sometimes mm-hmm. we do need to hear those stories um to sort of bring light to some of these issues, right? Like people are people, right? Uh they have similar Um, goals and they want to protect their family they want to feed their family they want the best right Uh, they want good jobs like everyone else and in that sense um, hearing or listening from from, uh, people helps us maybe understand that they're not very different from us right that they're not um, that they want the same things uh, like us Um, so yeah I agree Um, sometimes you know this um, sharing or listening to stories comes at the price of making them maybe a little more vulnerable than yeah. they than, than mm-hmm. they need to be. Um, so tell me what has been one of the biggest lessons or takeaways from this field school uh, course for you?
1: One of them for me is definitely something we talked about in my car too, was that you're not always going to agree on every point with your allies mm-hmm. and that that doesn't take away from their work. But sometimes you're very uncomfortable with Mm -hmm. people's approaches, even if the work they're doing is ultimately really good.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Great.
2: I think Emily said it better than I would say is that, you know, sometimes you're not always going to agree with the means or how someone does their activism, I guess. But at the end of the day, I feel like there has to be a level of appreciation and understanding and collaboration to be able to get to get the material change that you need, you know, some people might not like, for example, that a church is the main leader in activism, but, you know, because they could be, you know, or opposed to the introduction of religion to matters like this. But at the end of the day, the church is doing what's necessary to help those people out. So I feel like you have to sometimes put your personal biases under, aside to understand, like, big picture, how can we collaborate and how can we make mm-hmm. a difference? Because it's not about self-aggrandizing, right. it's about
3: overall change. mm mm-hmm i don't know if this is a lesson (laughs) but i think the biggest i guess lesson quote unquote um, that i learned is just like how much um community can help like improve like how community together can help improve the community altogether, like the united Mm -hmm. states so like just like seeing like all these orgs coming together and like a lot of them are fighting 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 and fighting like legislation um just seeing how much like it just it helps a lot like just being able to a- advocate for others um because like for me personally like I I advocate but I don't think I advocate enough um after I like done this like f- like this field school I realized like how much like I actually need to get into the community and get into mm-hmm. like these justice systems that are like present around us to push for like local policies to change
0: um, the communities I won't say that's a lesson but like Something, I guess. I it guess It is, so. is, right? <laughs> I mean, if that, yeah, sometimes we think, right, that, oh, that's like a state or, you know, national issue. And sometimes it, it starts locally, right? Mm-hmm. What can we do locally to make an impact? And then hopefully that ripples, right, to the whole state and, and then beyond that.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So kind of like with lot of saying with just like getting involved with locally, how can we make an impact? I remember we were talking about in Cincinnati specifically, there was quite an awful sheriff. And mm-hmm. you know, I mean, what's what's new about that? But um, <laughs> there was quite an awful sheriff that was made the situation for the undocumented community in society You know, ten times worse than it already was. And so, by being able to vote in someone else who is even able to make a marginal difference is still really important for just every, at the end of the day, someone's life. Right. And so uh, right. that's like a I'd never even thought about like how my sheriff or how you know someone and I never elected a sheriff, how a sheriff would change the lives of the i people. Ne- that had never even crossed my mind. So I think that that's a really important lesson that Alana brought up with about local involvement or just being able to be informed and then being able to do even the small
0: changes by just being informed is really mm-hmm. impactful. Yeah, that's right. Is there anything else you want to add to that I haven't asked you about your experience or what you learned? Um, I don't know. I feel like everybody should,
3: if they can, and are. Our- going to do it in a comfortable way try to find somebody that like um has had an experience and like try to understand them more and like being able to like like be a part of like a community or like just try to like engage in this community to understand um like the problems that are going on in the United States with it and not even just the United States everywhere <laughs> um <laughs> I guess just like trying to meet someone not like try to like you know don't put them in harm's way or, like, anything. But, like, just trying to understand a situation and a culture more and, like, just immigration more. Um, I will say anybody listening to this podcast. So,
0: yeah. yeah. That's great.
2: Yeah, I would recommend anyone taking the class we took. Uh, <laughs> oh, I, took class. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was actually <laughs> extremely beneficial. And just on the end, if you know, if you care about something or you think you care about something, try your best to get educated on it because then you're gonna find you care a whole lot more, and maybe you weren't advocating for it in the best way possible in the past. Mm-hmm. So I think that's like was a really big lesson that I learned personally.
1: Definitely, and going off that, like even if you think you know a lot about immigration
0: take this course. No, <laughs> that's good too yes good <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> those, hey that's always good um, but yeah those personal connections personal stories are definitely um, uh, key to understanding a topic uh, more deeply well thank you so much for this conversation thank, you. Right. thank you for having us a todos gracias por escucharnos y recuerden seguirnos en facebook y de compartir este podcast con otros hasta la próxima